Hello and welcome to another episode of Cripple Stump. And today we have another guest for you. And I'll just let that guest introduce themselves to you themselves. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nuruddin. Um, I'm a friend of Shabazz uh, throughout the years. Shabazz used to come into my place of work where I used to work to watch films and started chatting to him. And then we, we both realized that we were Man United supporters and then we had more to talk about. And we're also not that we don't live that far from each other. So that's what it is. But me, myself, I'm, um, yeah, I've lived in the UK for about 30 years now. It's going to be 31 years in June. Uh, I came here when I was nine to Manchester. I grew up in South Central Manchester and I'm a product of everything that is, that is South Central Manchester. I'm interested in music, football and culture. Okay, just kick us off then. Uh, because I don't really know this. How did you get uh, into working at what it was at the time, Cornhouse? Um, yeah, so I used to go in. So from when I was about 18, 19, I started to watch films there. Mm-hmm. And lot, me and a lot of my friends would walk past. We used to go to the Odeon. Do you remember the Odeon that used to be just past McDonald's on Oxford? Yeah, Road? yeah, yeah. Yeah, they would go there and I would come, I would go to the corner house. So I became fascinated because I was born in East Africa. So uh, I remember I was always interested in culture. I was all because I wasn't, you know what I mean? I came here when I was nine. So I was aware of another culture. So I think it was one of those things where I was just aware they showed these, you know, I would go past the posters and I would always, I would always see and be intrigued by the posters. These are yeah. amazing, colorful poster films from different parts of the world. Yeah. And my friends would say, oh, those are with subtitles or we don't want to watch a film with subtitles. I'm like, I want to watch a film with subtitles, you know? I, I want to yeah. see, I was curious. It was mainly more a curiosity. And then I had a partner and one time she was like, we should go and check out a film there. And I was like, oh, you know what? I've been meaning to go, so let's go. And then we went and then that was it, I was hooked. So the first time was from 18, I think, 18, 19. Can you remember the first film? Uh, I, can't, I never remember the title of the film, but I know the film. I don't know, you might have seen this film, actually, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. The film, the premise of the film is a group of um, physical and uh, people with physical and mental disabilities. Oh, right. In a group home, and it was at, in Paris, somewhere in Paris. In France. Was it called The, the Idiots? No, was it, is it called The Idiots? I don't know. But basically, their worker, the, the person that was looking after them, caring for them, she was like, okay, um, I'm going to, obviously, because you know what it is with disability and sex and all of that. So she yeah. was like, it's case of true events. So yeah. she would drive them to the outskirts of the, of Paris to go and see sex workers. All right. Yeah. And it was a very interesting film. I was like, whoa, that's an interesting film, you know? Uh, and then uh, I remember watching a film about a, about Thailand. There was a trans, uh, trans, um, trans volleyball players in, in Thailand. Yeah. So it was just like, wow. And then I remember watching an Italian film. And then I was just hooked one after the other. I was hooked. And do you remember the last film you saw at uh, the corner house? The last film I saw at the corner house. Wow. I'm trying to think. <laughs> it was about five, six years ago now, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. The last film I saw, I'm just trying to remember. Sorry to put you on the spot, but you know. So one of the last films I saw. Mm. No, sorry, you put him in. You know what? We'll have to come back to that one. 
because I, I don't remember. I, I could be. No, you know, uh, say Jimmy's Hall. Well, no, Jimmy's Hall. No, it was. I don't know why Jimmy's Hall is coming to my head, but that's okay. long, longer time ago, isn't it? Jimmy's yeah, Hall. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just curious and like. Yeah, yeah. To be, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think. Oh, oh, the last film I actually saw. What was the what was the last film I saw? It was actually I went back and actually the university students showed a film, and they were asking like surveys about the film, and I think it was a it was a documentary about racism. I think oh, no, man. it was. I'll tell you what it was. What? It was I am not your Negro. Wow, I'm that was a good Negro. film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the yeah, it was that. It was the James Baldwin documentary. I'm not your yeah. Negro, yeah. and it was part of this uh, somebody's PhD. And right. me, and another friend was like, "Let's go." So that was after the university took over yeah. the building. Yeah. So just so that you don't feel alone, I can't remember either one of those questions <laughs> for myself. You know, I couldn't tell you which was the first film I saw, which one was the last film. I just remember going to the last, uh, the closing uh, party of the cor corner house. That's all I remember, really. And uh, yeah, and I remember speaking to you quite clearly about this once, uh, the new place, home had opened up. And I was like, a couple of months into it, I spoke to you. I was like, Nuruddin, it's not quite the same. And unbelievably, you were like, you because you were still working there, you were giving me a, a diplomatic answer. You uncharacteristically, you were like, Well, it's just different. I was like, Well, okay, because you know, I was like, That's very diplomatic, you know. But yeah, I just feel that the new place it is what you say, different, but it doesn't have any of the old charm. Or any of the old character yet? Yeah, you know, I suppose that that is obvious, but it comes over time and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it's just because it's fairly new and, like, you know, it, it had a big hoo ha around it and mm -hmm. stuff, and like, you know, the old building is still there. Uh, I think students are in there now still, mm -hmm. so at least it's still being used, mm. uh, and. Uh, Fast forward to your life now. So what made you decide to, well, you can label the channel yourself, to start the YouTube channel that you did, you have done now? Well, you know me, you know how passionate I am about Manchester United yeah. and about football in general. Yeah. Uh, football means a lot in my life, actually. Um, you know, I came from a war zone as a kid in East Africa, and I came here and... Yeah, it was to be specific. Those people were like, where's East Africa? Well, I was born in Somalia, but uh, just to go of a little branch is basically the colonial borderlines in Africa don't make sense. So I'm, I'm somebody who was, you know, born in the Horn of Africa, specifically East, East Africa, but specifically in the Horn of Africa. And the borderlines don't make sense. They're only, you know, since 1884, the Berlin Conference, where European colonizers said, you know, this is this, this is that, this is that, split the border. So... You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Africa, but the same ethnic groups live in two different sides of the borders, which yeah. is weird, really weird. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, obviously, you know, the African story, you know, you start 
the, you know, one side arms say that. I, I think actually maybe we were one of the, I was, the, the, the civil war that happened there was the last of the cold war. I think like the, it was, uh, you know, the Soviet, you know, the world was either split, you were either neutral or you yeah. were the Soviet Union or with the Americans, you know what yeah. I mean? That's what it was, or with the West. Yeah. But yeah, so I came from a traumatized war zone. I had family in here in the UK. I came here in 1990 and I was too traumatized. Obviously, I was strange from my mother. My mother was there with some of my other siblings that I came here with my father and my grandfather at that time. And my grandfather's brothers were here, you know, since the like late late 60s, well, no, late 50s, early 60s. So that's the backstory. And then I came here and I was traumatized. And football was the only thing that made me connect to my new surroundings, to... Yeah you know, new city, you know, school. And so football means a lot to me. And, and you know me, I'm never shy of opinion, even yeah. though sometimes, you know, when I was in work, I could be very diplomatic, but I'm never shy of an, of, of an opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so it was just a natural thing. I could go to the game sometimes. Um, and then, you know, I got on the fan cams and a lot of people were like, you know what, why don't you start your own? You should start your own. And, yeah. you know, I was helping. I don't know if you know Saeed TV, you know Saeed? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Sasai TV, and now it was called United Central, and, and I was on there helping him with the channel, and 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 then yeah, it's just it's just from there, and then lockdown, and most of the lockdown, you know me, I'm a very, I'm a very, um, what's the word? I am a very extroverted human being. You know, I need yeah. people. I need to go out dancing. You know, music and football are very central to my life. Really, yeah. going out and be able to express myself on the dance floor. Same with football, but unfortunately, I couldn't play. You know, I gave up 11 aside maybe about 10, over a decade ago now. And five aside, I've not played maybe with the past four or five years, maybe four years I've not played now. But I love talking about the game. And like I said, I've been a United supporter since I got here. So so that's why hey, I was thinking, yeah. Why did you give up 11 aside then? Because of my knee. I had too many knee surgeries. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I had too, too many knee surgeries. Too many... Bad tackles, or could you not? Yeah, you know, actually, you know, there were some bad tackles when I used to play Saturday and Sunday league, but the, mainly it was from my own leg. I think I had some sort of illness, and my one of my legs weaker than the other. Okay. When I was a kid, so yeah, yeah I had too many knee surgeries, and yeah. the doctor said to me, "By the time I'm forty, I'm forty now." He's like, "By the time you're forty, you're going to be on a wheelchair." Oh, and right. I was like, "Okay, that's not yeah. a good thing to hear, is it?" <laughs> it's like. But uh, uh, can you can you still play five the side or are you uh, not? Yeah, I need to build it up. I need to play with people who are not too competitive. But yeah. I've got that competitive spirit inside me. And yeah, it's so like how that, can yeah. you switch that off in it? No, you can't. You can't but, switch that off. But I wanted to ask you about uh, go just going back to the game now. Now during lockdown and everything, nobody being in the stadium. How important do you think the fans are in the actual stadium? Well, the, the, the great Samat Busby quote is there, you know, is he said it a long time ago. He said it in the 1950s. Mm. He said, football without fans is nothing. And that stands. I mean, it was so surreal. I, I mean, I could only ever really watch Man United games. I couldn't watch any of the games. Yeah. You know what I mean? During the lockdown, I, I couldn't really because... It's the atmosphere that makes you watch games. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. The rivalries, the fans there, you know, you know what football culture is, you know, yeah. singing songs about each other, you know, mm. in not horrible songs, but the one football is at its best is the one where it's funny songs sang yeah. about each other. You know what I mean? Not horrible yeah. stuff, but yeah, 
when it when it, when you keep it really humorous and you know everybody's mm -hmm. laughing while they're singing so all of that and just the atmosphere and the passion is huge part of football and it really showed because you were just like are you watching something like down sunday league you know what i mean you felt like watching sunday league and and it yeah. even felt weird here hearing managers and coaches speaking to the players and the players yeah. speaking you know it felt weird it felt really really weird because because i've been i don't know if you know but i've been going to the games most of the games since luckily since 1999 yeah. that, that just in, coincidentally happened you know yeah. there's nothing to do with me or anything like that but uh and i do remember my first ever game really mm. uh i can't remember who it was against but dwight i think it was against fulham dwight Yoke scored a header of the far far post mm -hmm. uh, and it was against fulham we won one nil and it was a shit game but i, I remember it because it was my first game Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, atmosphere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, ne I never thought, again, being a, being a wheelchair user, I never thought it was possible for me to go. Yeah, and like course. I thought it'd be like dangerous. So you yeah. know, growing up, you hear all these stories, and your parents kind of scare you away, away from it, and of stuff like that, Hillsborough and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just a relief to be able to to do it and, uh, you know, to be safe and yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. And to and, see the atmosphere, there must have been deafening when you went in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you know where we are? Weirdly, the disabled stand was at that time put right below the away fans. Wow. So you really, you're really getting it from the away fans and... You know, it's like it's like kind of the worst place to kind of put it in a way. Throw things, couldn't they? They could yeah. throw coins and also yeah, things. like flares. Especially during Champions League games, you get flares and all kinds of things. Wow. So yeah, and uh, I don't know if you also know, but I'm, I'm very much an activist these days. And uh, one of the things that has struck me recently about football. And uh, I wish people connected it to the wider world. Is the the protest around the Super League? Yeah. And uh, how how the right to protest is really important. And there's yeah. a, I don't know if you know at the moment there's a bill going through Parliament yeah. called yeah. the Ki so kill, kill the bill. bill. Yeah. I'm involved in that, and what what I'm afraid of is that the wider world isn't connecting the. The dots, you know, like they don't do, you know, it's like if we don't have the right to protest, mm -hmm. what do we have, you know? Exactly, exactly. Well, I've been on the Kill the, Kill the Bill as well from the early days. I've been on the anti-Glazer yeah. protest as well. I've been on, the, you know, the Palestinian Solidarity um, campaign. So actually, if you ask me what my life has been for the past couple of months, I've been going protesting. I've been yeah. protesting and protesting and protesting. Yeah, but, so... It feels like really important, especially now after lockdown, that yeah. that coming together of people, yes, is kind of really kind of important, and people feel the urge to do it as well. Of course, I mean the energy. It's been amazing to be just to be with other hundreds of thousands of people who are feeling exactly the same. I mean, the kill the bill is a very you know the bill is 
the kill the bill campaign is really good but but the bill is really dangerous because it's going to curtail protest and nothing power concedes absolutely nothing so without a demand you know what i, I mean without I a demand it concedes nothing so it's so important that you know so many rights were won you know what i mean all sorts you know all different types of rights throughout history were won because of protest and plus campaign you know what i mean so we stand on the shoulders of a lot of amazing giants you know yeah. i mean i can only like talk about in terms of like a lot of the protests surrounding and the same for you as well actually uh as a as a person of color and you know especially as me and you will love football there was yeah. a lot of protest around you know anti love football hate racism there was a yeah. lot of contests put on you know what i mean throughout all history and if this bill goes through all of that will be shut down we yeah. won't have any way of making dissenting uh you know what i mean from what's be been done to us by this i've been it's very like kind of almost kind of almost fascist to say you can't protest and i mean i don't know if you read the details of the bill but it's basically saying oh you can't make noise you can't yeah. uh, protest without in telling the police it's 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 extraordinary what they try to do you know you know uh, yeah i've looked at some of the details across all of it but I'm involved in a lot, some of the campaigning and some of the organising uh, around the campaign. Yeah, apparently if you make a nuisance of yeah. yourself, you could be imprisoned for 10 years. Under that, under those circumstances, I'll be in prison all the time because <laughs> I'm, I'm a nuisance full stop, you know? Exactly. You know, my no I make a lot of noise. So exactly. under... Under those circumstances, as soon as I laugh, I'll be a nuisance, you know? Of course, of course, of course. Of course. And, it, yeah. and it's yeah. really, really terrible. I, obviously, I'm coming on your podcast today, but you need to come on my fan channel as well. You definitely need to come on. Yeah. Because uh, I think that the, uh, the, uh, the voice of the disabled supporter gets yeah. forgotten. Of course. You know? You know? Yeah. Because I don't know if you know, that even at Man United, where they've got a good setup, years ago, carers used to go for free, right? And we used to pay uh, a certain fee, and then if we got a ticket, we 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 could go for free. You know, that was part of our package. But now each individual ticket, not only do you have to pay pay membership, you have to pay for each ticket on top of that. But really and, you, and, and do you know that why that came about? Some no. able-bodied person took the club to court and said it was unfair for disabled people to get the, the tickets at a discounted price. So I an able-bodied person actually messed it up for everybody. That's, because that's shame. because you know, you know some disabled people, you know that that was. That was the only outing they ever got, you know? Of course, yeah. And it's no. such a shame. It's such a shame. And the organisations would put them in the ballot and if they got a ticket, it was it was like a wish list kind of situation. Oh, of course, yeah. You know? So yeah. It, it's kind of maddening that people... I mean, it's okay for somebody like me, but, you know, for people who can't go anywhere at all, Mm. And this is before the pandemic or anything. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, 
and I feel like the voice of the disabled supporter gets Mm -hmm. forgotten. Yeah, and it really shouldn't because we are we are a part of society as well. Of course, and and only only then do you educate the public. Of course, because if they see every all kinds of people there, mm-hmm. they, they'll understand. And the one of the other things I want to ask you about the football, you must have seen it. The the England fans booing at people taking the lead. Yeah. What do you think to that? Well, it's been, you know, the right wing is a right wing agenda, isn't it? It's mainstream, mainly right wing agenda that is tried to um, you know, um although obviously you know the events that happened, obviously, with George Floyd, but you know about discrimination. I don't have to teach you that you're in that intersection. Of somebody who's disabled and somebody who's Muslim. Yeah, somebody who's, who's I, I took all the fucking boxes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you know, so I don't have to tell you about that. You no, but no, you, you should tell the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't well, tell me, tell the world. Well, yeah, well, I'm telling the world. Well, so discrimination is real, racism is real, institutional racism is real. And um, yeah, so, you know, we, we all know the events that took place and how the Black Lives Matter came to the forefront in in recent years. You know, it's been going around since maybe 2016, 2016, you know, um, I think it was the first, was the Mike Brown. I remember we did a protest in Manchester from Alexandra Park to all the way to the city centre outside Town Hall. We did this protest in solidarity and also to bring highlight to the police killings uh, of black men, especially of black and brown men. And, and working class men as well, because they, they do kill some white white men and how no police officer has ever been convicted, you know, since 1990, no police officer has ever faced any conviction for all the murders that, that took place, you know, the deaths in custody. You know, it's not deaths, they're murders in custody. Because I hate saying death, people don't just, death, if somebody dies, but no, somebody died because somebody physically assaulted them and somebody yeah. restrained them in a, in a, on, in a in a way where they couldn't breathe or somebody really like put piled on top of their necks and and exactly so obviously um that's what the campaign is kneeling uh for me is a way for the premier league and the fa and and all of the kind of institutions football institutions in this country to kind of pass the buck to do something symbolic but not to carry it out or not to carry out real you know real change in terms of the disparities of how many how many footballers are ethnic minority in this country, looking at the, like the top four or five professional leagues uh, in this country, and then how many managers and coaches there are from that. I mean, it's about twenty five percent, I think, are black or ethnic minority people play you know who play in the top leagues in this country, and there isn't any representation when it comes to coaches or managers, and so they want to do something to it. But actually, it works in our favor. Those of us who are anti racist. I mean, I've been involved in anti-racism for a long, long time, as you know, Shabazz. And so for us, it's like, it's symbolic, um, but without really them doing, making the substantial changes that needs to be made in the game. But actually, it keeps the conversation going and it's really interesting that races get triggered. The racist, if you you haven't got, if you're not any, if you're not racist, if you see a gesture (laughs) or something, symbolism, that is about, um, yeah. that's about anti-discrimination, right? Yeah. You wouldn't get triggered, but it triggers a lot of races, a lot of gammons, yeah. don't it? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. 
We all got boo, boo. And I'm like, wow, wow. Is that what you're doing? And yeah. then like, well, I'm not boo because he's a Marxist. I mean, what do you know about Marx? Yeah. Did you <laughs> know? They come out with this unbelievable. I just heard the other day. He was like, it's a Marxist plot. I'm like, what's that guy do with anything? Marx, anti-racism now is seen as Marx. I mean, this, there's a long history. There's a long history of fighting again. I mean, there was uh, fascism and rock music in the 70s, you know, in the 70s and 80s, yeah. where there was far-right fascist rock music. And they were like, oh, it's because it's anti-communism. That's what they used to say it. So yeah. now anti-racism has, has, has now become dressed up as uh, as wokeism and as also <laughs> Marxism. Like, wow, wow. No, but if you're racist, you're racist, right? This is it. This is it. This is it. I mean, all, all black lives, those words, black lives matter, just say black lives matter, because as we know, black lives don't matter in terms of when it comes to the way the system has been set up. And this is yes. a historic, historic thing, you know. Yeah. We know, you know, anti, you know, Islamophobia exists, you know, anti-Asian, anti you know what I mean, exists. Yeah. And, you know, hatred against brown people exists, hatred yeah. against black people exists. So it's just it's just funny how they get themselves, you know, they want to turn everything into a culture war, as they call yeah. it, and a war on wokeism. Basically, what they mean is that before they used to say, oh, uh, you know, they would say, oh, um, politically correct. And you're like, well, it's not now, it's a war on wokeism. It's yeah. a war on political correctness. And uh, it's just, I mean, they use all these words to try to, but the, the reality is reality. You either, you, you either are, you can't be neutral when it comes to discrimination and racism. You know, you're either anti-racist or you are a racist. Simple. Yeah. Simple. It's kind of black and white to part of the pun, you know? It's like, you either are or you aren't, you know? Yeah. But it's kind of interesting, you know, I don't know if you heard what Nigel Farage said, but I'm saying, if anybody, if a black or brown person said that, they'd be like, inciting violence, you know? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's 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 radicalised a lot. I mean, there yeah. are loads of them. That, that he, he radicalises a lot of gammons to be racist, you know? All you have to look at is the mainstream media, you know, mainstream mm -hmm. media in this country, and especially the tabloid newspapers. And certain TV channels, you know, they, they don't, they never tell the true story. They always try to cover up when things are, when it comes to discrimination or racism. Yeah. They always try to have a, like, both sides. They play both sides, like, all yeah. lives matter in the situation. You're like, no. The reason why people say Black Lives Matter is because we know in the way the system's set up, we know in all of the different studies that are done and the lived in experience of Black people that Black people's lives, according to the institutions, do not matter. So yeah. that's why we're saying Black Lives Matter because yeah. Black Lives, you know, you, you for example, a plane will, let's say that, so let's say, let's have a hypothetical, where the plane will to crash, somewhere, let's say, East or West Africa, or something was to happen. They would always talk about the European person. Yeah. They will never talk about the Black people that died. No. You know what I mean? Like, oh, one Britain was involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, you know, this is... This is what it is. We know that. We know, Shabazz. You know, you know. I don't have to yeah. tell you. And most of your viewers hopefully know as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping they do. But yeah. no, there is racism. It's real. Institutional racism is real. Like, majority institutions, you get 
racism in the health in the health services. You get racism in terms of when it comes to the criminal justice system. It, it comes racism when it comes to social uh, social care and social well, you know, the welfare state. You get all of that. There is most of the institution are set up in the premise of having these embedded old beliefs about black and brown people in this country. Yeah, you know what I mean. And discrimination also goes to like, you know, the LGBTQI plus community. It goes to, you know, the Muslim community. It goes to like people, you know, people with disabilities, mental health. All, it goes along all these lines, you know, the audacity that somebody who, who's, who's a Man United football, uh, football fan has literally bought about a court case. And now your carer who's, who's helping you to get there as somebody who's disabled, like that you, they would have to pay now, because of that, just shows what kind of country, what kind yeah, of world and, we're living. And we as supporters have to pay. Yeah, exactly. We're uh, fellow supporters, other than having solidarity with your fellow supporters. It just shows you. It, I mean, I mean, they could, yeah. I mean, I'll be really, I love to investigate that because I love to talk to him, try to find out who this person was. Yeah, I don't think they made it public because I think they get, the person would get a lot of hate, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's shambolic. Well, if they're bringing something to court, they, they should be on public record. Yeah. They should be on a public record. But, um, yeah, this happened a good few years ago. Yeah, yeah. But going back, but going back, what you asked me about the 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 the, 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 the kneeling, it, it triggers a lot of people because there's a backlash against Black Lives Matter. You know, because majority of young people, young white people and, and you know, um, Young people of all different ethnicities have 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 saw, you know, the discrimination and the racism that takes place in in our daily lives. So yeah. they they went out on the street, and obviously there are certain people in this country who are frightened of the change. They never want to see change, and that's why there's a backlash. There's a backlash to anti-racism. There's a backlash to anti-discrimination, uh, where people are coming together to say no, we stand against this um, prejudice and discrimination. And people, certain people in this country think, no, we, we, we're too far, we're too far. And now they're, they're linking it to Marxism. And you're like, wow, wow. So multi-millionaire footballers, and now it's a big plot, communism plot to take over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the likes of like Harry Kane, the likes of Jaden Sancho and, yeah. Mark, you know, you know, are they going to take over? What are they going to do? You know what? They're, they're all forming. This, this is the plot. Yeah. This is the Russian plot. Like, it's like, plot. What, what are you on about? You know, it's like, like I said, if it was a brown person saying that, you know, it's in a Nigel Fried or a black person, yeah, yeah. they'll be like, they'll be getting them done for inciting violence. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know if you saw it, actually. Um, this, I mean, people can check it out. There's a conservative MP who actually compared, compared the kneeling to Nazi salute. Really? Yeah. Honestly. Well, that's just a stoke up fire, isn't it, really? That is. I mean, and, and he's actually a member of parliament. A yeah, but it's, parliament. it just shows you. Away with that. And there is not, and like you said, if there was a brown person or a black person to say that, then it will be on absolute uproar. Yeah, because, because he, he literally, I watched it a few times and it literally threatened everybody. He said, well, if it continues to happen, Garrett Southgate's going to have a very difficult summer. Well, it just shows you, doesn't it? It shows you, it shows you. It's the, it's the rule of the Britannia Wave Brigade. That's what it is. Empire. That's the whole reason why we got Brexit. We yeah, but I, I, I keep arguing with people 
we have they have to forget about it, but Empire's dead. And this is just the dregs of it, really. No, well, that's what people don't do. And it's nostalgia. There's people here in this country who don't think me and you should be here speaking like this, speaking about mm. these things, and we shouldn't, we don't belong here. But that's this why is... we should why, that's why we should speak about it more. Of course. Of because course. because they don't want us to speak about it. And yeah. and we should speak about it because it's only it's only right and it's only fair that we do so. Yeah. And going back to the kill the bill protest, right? Uh, isn't it ironic that th- this bill came about after the success of Black Lives Matter protest and the XR protest? Of course. You know? Of course, of course, 100%. Because, because the XR protest was successful in yeah. terms of disruption yeah. and they were like, shit, we have to do something about this. Of course. Of course, that's what I'm saying. It's part of the ba- it's part of the backlash. That's yeah. what it is. It's part of the backlash. That's what that is. It's part of like this. Oh, we can't have this. We can't have this. You know, because we can't have people telling truth about the crimes of empire to really mm-hmm. unraveling. Because a lot of people think Britain's not that. It's not a racist country. But when you're privileged, you don't. You don't think that you live in this bubble, like, yeah. and you're not seeing what's going on out there. And you know, you know how it is. It's difficult to talk about race. It's always people make people are made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm one of those for a long, long time. I refuse. I refuse. I always talk about it. And and I know you do as well. You always talk about yeah. you know. Because for me, why football is interesting, uh, apart from the game itself, is the microcosm of the world. You of know. Yeah, you yeah. know, because now with the disabled supporter, with everybody having to pay. It's only the people that can afford to go, yeah. go, go to the games, you know? And, the, you know, it becomes a class thing, you know? Yeah. It becomes, as soon as you have corporate boxes in the yeah. stadium, you've got a class structure there, haven't you? Massively, yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, it's a working class game, wasn't it? That's what one a lot belong to the people taken by the rich. That's what one of the banners said at the yeah. anti-glazer protests. Um, yeah. And yeah. what, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, because I've watched uh, quite a few of your videos and, and streams, uh, and what what one thing I wanted to bring up was, how come nobody ever talked about sa- salary caps? Yeah, I mean, I, you know anything what? like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that will have to be, I think salary caps will have to come in. If there was a proper restructuring of football, definitely that would have to come in. Salary caps will have to come in, um, making it more affordable for people to go, bringing back that carers and, and, and disabled people can go together to, to enjoy games. I mean, even if we're specifically talking about Man United, that stadium should be knocked down and built a 100-seater stadium. Yeah. And it should be like specifically built a, a proper disabled area. And you could get more working-class youngsters and, and people who, who can go, who can just turn up and buy a, buy a ticket on a match day and make yeah. it affordable. But obviously, we're owned by critons, we're yeah. owned by leeches, vultures, who don't give a damn. And you know, like you said, football is a microcosm of the of the larger society. And we, we know it's uh, venture capitalists who are now in charge of Man United and in charge yeah. of the majority of big clubs. I mean, you've got the city owners who are doing a sports washing. You've got Rahimovic at Chelsea who's doing sports washing because yeah. he had a dodgy dodgy stuff that he was doing in the former Soviet Union in Russia. 
Yeah. So it just shows you, you know, it shows. And football fans say, oh, but we talk about that, it's always just sour grapes. But it's not sour grapes. Because if you look at the Champions League final, it's an oligarch versus versus a lot of state, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, on a sort of oligarchs. Yeah, two oligarchs facing up against each other. Yeah. Yeah. But one backed by a country and one backed by like ga- gas and oil. Exactly. Exactly. You no, know? and it's exactly. like it's took the game away from from yeah. people essentially. Of course he has. I mean, it's not honestly, that's exactly what you said, Shabbat. It's not sour grapes at all. I mean, let's look at it. Ibrahimovic is now gave a hundred million to um, violent extremists, extremely violent fundamentalist settlers in, who are kicking Palestinians out of their, out of their homes, yeah. you know, where they've lived their generation after generation. Yeah. yeah. And he gave them 100 million. And then you've got the Man City owners who basically, with the help of Saudi Arabia, are bombing the people and starving people in Yemen. Yeah. <laughs> so and they- it, it, was, it, was, it was like the human rights abusers final. That's what it was. And when I tell that to people, I'm like, yeah, if it was Man United, I'll tell, I'll tell exactly the same. You know yeah. what I mean? The Glazers supported Trump. Glazers supported the Bush family. They always supported, they, you know, they're, they're, these millionaires, these rich people, their interests always align. Yeah. Because, yeah. It be, because it becomes a narrow conversation where they go, oh, you're a Man United fan. Therefore, yeah. you're just having, a, you're just having a, good, a go at them. But yeah. I don't think that's the case. I used to say that about Sh- uh, Shinawatra. Yeah. Remember? Shinawatra, <laughs> yeah. Who owned, yeah, who owned Man City. He he was another human rights abuser. Yeah. And he, he was in prison after that. Ireland. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he disappeared people in Ireland, yeah. Yeah. And he, he was, was in prison yeah. after that. Yeah. yeah. You know? and, and now look at look at Man City. I mean, they put a lot of money into the club, but they, they, they've, you know, they're just trying to why wash their image away? Of course, it's sport washing. It's yeah. a classic case of sports washing, yeah. Yeah. And that's why when people say to me, oh, would would the only people who could buy Man United are Saudi, Saudi Arabia? I'm like, no, I don't want them to become owners. I don't. I'd rather have the fans in control. But yeah. we, we, what we talked about on my channel was the 51 plus, uh, 50 plus one rule. Yeah. And similar that they have in Germany where fans are in charge. That's why you don't have multi-billionaire club uh, owners, billionaires, taking over German, you know, German football teams. And yeah. that's why in the, this Super League, German, um, Bayern Munich and Dortmund were like, no, we're not joining. You know, we're not joining the Super League. Do you, do you think the 50 plus one could work in this country or do you think it would slightly have to be adapted? I think, well, I think a form of it can, can happen, but that only, that will only happen through government legislation. And, they're now doing a, a review into football, the governance of football. Yeah. And if you get independent uh, governing body of football, because the FA the, and FA gets bullied, the Premier League have all the money, and the, these top six teams that were going to go into the Super League have all the power. I mean, it, they, it's how mad it is, right? So they wanted, they, went, they wanted to go to the Super League, and Man United were one of the spearheaders. Actually, Man United fingerprints are all over the yeah. planning of the Super League, right? Yeah. We know Ed Woodward also used to work at J.B. Morgan's. Yeah, yeah. And he's the one who's been absolutely running football matters, even though he knows nothing about football at Manchester United. So basically, um, now they were in, 
the past couple of months they've been in discussion about what the punishment could you imagine like you've broken a law or a code and i have to be in discussion with you how to punish you <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous so the biggest thing we need is a football regulator an independent body that regulates football that is completely independent from the fa the premier league and the efl and all of the leagues in this country so that it's independent and it will uh, punish teams and, and punish those who who, uh, who don't um, basically break any of the rules and who don't play fair, basically. So, but we're going to get a, that can only happen through government legislation. Yeah, but do, do you think that could ever happen because of the amount of money involved in it? Well, all they have to do is, you know how it is, you know how the Tory party works. All, they, all these billionaires have to do is make a donation to the, to the Tory Yeah, party. yeah. That's and why I'm, that. that's why I'm a bit worried that it could never really happen because money talks, you know. Of course, of course. I wish it, it didn't, but it does. You're right. And it's still and it's still the case that it would. Anyway, do you, do you, do you think having your channel being called the Real United Therapy? Do you think it provide provides you with any therapy? Of course, it does. 100% it, it, it provides me with therapy because I get to interact and talk about football. Um, like I said, football is a big part of my life and talk about something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing why I'm passionate about that because it brings people together. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. And last night we had, a, I did the first phone in last night um, on, on last night's show at 9.30. Um, you know, so check it out if you're not checked it out. And it was beautiful to hear from different people from different parts of the world coming on and and having voice in their opinion and just fans just interacting. It's a beautiful thing because it's conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what do you see as the future for uh, Real United Therapy? I just Five years' time. In how, in how long time? Five years' time. Wow, in five years' time. Well, I hope that we can have more interactions, more with people, Talk about, because you know how people try to do, they try to uh, differentiate football from politics, but always, everything is political, as you know, Shabazz. So we yeah. talked a lot about the reason we try to explain how voter capitalism works, the reasons why there's a lot of younger fans, who what, what the Glazers are, what are they doing to the club. Um, we've explained the fact that we, we, we showed a lot of love and respect to somebody like Mares, Pogba, Ahmad Diallo, uh, to Fafana and to, the, I forgot the other Leicester player who, who, who to, took the Palestinian flag at Wembley. Chowdhury. Yeah, Chowdhury, that's it. Yeah, Chowdhury. And we, we, we did that. So we explained what the Palestinian situation, why the Palestinians are, are fighting for their human rights. And yeah, so I'm hoping that more of that to grow. But we're going to hopefully do another another YouTube channel. And I hope that you'll be part of that as well, where we will talk about culture, Manchester culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what? Going back to films, what's the last film you watched? The last film that I watched, the last good film that I watched, or or the last film that I watched. I watched actually, yeah, a couple of maybe last week, the week before. You know, the the biggest thing, I'm not being able to watch films as much during lockdown because other than with people, because I for years and years when I used to go to the corners, I used to go by myself. Yeah, and then in the past maybe decade and a decade and a bit, I started to go with friends, and when I I, I look forward to talking about the film because I love the fact that 
we all see different things and we all yeah, have an yeah. opinion about certain about the plot or, or the twist and things that we might have saw coming. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, I, I've missed that. I've really missed that during lockdown. Yeah. So um, I've not, uh, the last, oh yeah, I watched, what did I watch? Oh damn, what's the name of the film? What's the name of the film? Oh, you know, Sorry, I'll, listen, I'll, I'm I'll, dyslexic. I'm dyslexic, so my memory really goes, but... Yeah, I'm sorry to put you on the... I was only bringing it out because it's kind of ironic. Because I found that I've not been watching films that much, you know, as much as I would have liked. Ironically, being in lockdown, I've been do, doing other things. Like my other... I was doing another podcast before this with mm-hmm. somebody else, and I was doing activism, I was... I was doing various other things. So the irony being, the fact that you can't go to the cinema yeah. makes, makes, makes it less likely for me that you're going to watch yeah. a film yeah. because yeah. You, you can't make an event out of it. It's just something you either put on or you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, as soon as I get off this here now, the podcast finishes, I'm gonna, the film is going to come to mind. But what was the film? I, it's all right. You don't have to worry about it. I, I yeah. just wondered because you're you're such a film buff, and yeah. as you know, I I studied film, a but film. I haven't probably seen as many films as probably you have. You yeah. know, so and I wanted to ask you while I've while I've still you got one film that I've still not seen. You know, film that I'm going to tell you that I've still not seen. What? The film that I would really love to see. It's a um, it's the the Judas and the Black Messiah. I really have you still see not seen that? Still not seen that. I thought you were gonna watch it straight away. You were no, because it was locked down. It was locked down. Yeah. And home and and I didn't. I did. You know what? I've been just doing other things. You know how lockdown messes with our routine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not gonna tell you about. It. I've seen it, but I'm not gonna tell you about. It. But you, yeah, should, yeah. you should I'm watch it. I'm looking forward to watching that, yeah. Yeah, you should watch it now. Because oh, yeah, you know what? I saw, this is, I remember that. The last film that I saw yeah. was the, the, the Mediterranean. Mediterranean? No, the Mediterranean. You know, Mediterranean is a country in North... In North All right. Africa, Northeast, I think it's Northeast yeah. Africa. Yeah, yeah. and it was about Guantanamo Bay prisoner. It's one of the most, yeah... Was most, it good? It was amazing, based on true events, yeah. Yeah. Based on true events. One of the last films I saw was Nomadland. Okay, I've not seen that one. The the Oscar winner is not, I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, it won the Oscar, but I wouldn't recommend it to people. Uh, But, yeah, with Frances McDormand and stuff like that. Yeah, she's an amazing actress, isn't she? Yeah. She's got such a good look, you know. Her face is yeah, so yeah. good for acting. Yeah, she communicates, doesn't she, with her body yeah, and her Because they're the really good actors do, don't they? they yeah, yeah. You know, they, the delivery of the lines is only one part of it then, isn't it? Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. What's your favourite film then? My favourite film? Oh, you're putting me in a spot. I don't have a favourite. There's so many great classic films. Okay. Like, what, I'll, I'll give you I'll, okay. I'll try to give you my top five. Okay. Um, there's a there's a fantastic film called Bamako. 
uh, Ibrahim, Ibrahim, I forgot his surname, Ibrahim, director, African director from Mali. Uh, I think he might be Senegalese, uh, but yeah, Ibrahim Sissoko, that's it, Bamako. I really loved Emeros Peros. Remember Emeros Peros? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that film. Uh, there's the French film called Couscous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, God, what else? I'm just trying to think. They're the three that I can think of, but there are amazing, like, there are amazing. Like, there will be blood. I really like yeah. that film. Because I, I was about to say, but I would say my favorite film is probably Cynic Ducky New York. What's what's the film? Cynic Ducky. Cynic Ducky, okay. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, a Charlie one. Kaufman film, 2005. Okay. What's it? What's it? Chinese? No, Charlie Kaufman. Oh, Charlie Kaufman film, okay. Charlie yeah. Kaufman film. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I've seen there are some amazing. And I like Tree of Life. Yeah, you know what, documentaries as well. I've seen some incredible documentaries. Absolutely yeah. incredible. There was a, did you ever see the documentary about the skateboarders? No. The young, the did, young you, skateboarders. did you ever see the Mario documentary? Oh, what a film. Is that, that any amazing. good? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Because have you ever seen the Amy Winehouse documentary? Yeah. That, I thought that was brilliant. And I'm not yeah, yeah. a big, I wasn't a big Amy Winehouse fan. But the way they put that together was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's the same maker. He, he yeah, did yeah. a really good job. He did a he did the Senna as well. Did he watch the Senna? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a really good technique, that isn't it? Yeah, the, the way they put it together. But the Maradona one was brilliant. Um there's a, a brilliant documentary called Shooting the Mafia. That's one of the best documentaries I've seen. What is there? Is it just about is it about the no. mafia or is it about yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's about this photographer? From um, I think she's from Palermo. I think she's from Palermo, in Italy, in Sicily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's a photographer, and she's been photographing the crimes of the of, of the mafia. And it is a brilliant. It's about her as well. It's about her character, who she who she is. So yeah, shooting the mafia is a fantastic documentary. What kind? You know, what kind of film would you say is your favorite kind of film? I, I like films that are based on true events. I don't know why, because I always think reality is is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Real things that, that happen that, that are more stranger than fiction. So, I, yeah, it does, I'm not a big fan of period dramas. No. I'm not on your musicals. They're my two worst genres, like, in yeah. terms of... Because I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I don't like horror films. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of horror films either. It's really interesting. I'm not. Yeah. I, I I watch it. I watch it with friends and that, and have a laugh yeah. and take the take the you know take yeah. the biscuit. But I'm not. But I started to get into sci-fi. I, I was. You know what? One thing I didn't watch consistently was watching Star Trek. You know, Discovery on. Uh, really? On yeah, I've been watching that. My my inner nerds finally. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you been trying to tell it for ages? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just um. It, it, the premise of it is very interesting. The lead is a is a black actor. Uh, it's a woman called Michael. The character is called Michael, yeah. and it's a black woman, and uh, yeah. it's fascinating. You know, there's some sort of like, kind of like you know, whole thing about Star Trek and that. It's it's, it's yeah. something maybe social. The politics is about social and accepting of everybody that everybody's different, and maybe the, you know it aligns with my values. So yeah, I started mm -hmm. to watch Star Trek. Yeah, I won't keep you for much longer. Let me ask you a few more questions because I know you're a busy man and you're always itching to move on to the next thing. So um, 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, films in like Africa and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What is that big film um, tradition in Africa that you know of? Like, well, like I said, yeah, you know what? I'm, I've not watched any any films about Somalia, to be fair. I haven't. I've seen documentaries, but I haven't watched any fictional films. But Ibrahim Sissoko is one of my favorite African directors. Oh, man. Yeah. What is it that strikes you about him? It's just the colors, the music. He really brings about the texture of Africa in his films. He really shows that, like, for what it is. And it's, the shots are beautiful. Like, yeah, it's Bamako. Like I said, Bamako is one of my favorite films. It's an African film. When's the last time you went to Africa? Um, I was in North Africa maybe four years ago, five, you know, maybe five years ago, five, six years ago. Because again, just to make you feel, not feel like I'm putting you on the spot, I, I last went to Pakistan when I was about 20 odd years ago. Okay. So, so it's a long time ago now. Yeah. I've not been back to where I was born. I've not been back to East Africa. I've not been for would 31 you, years now. It's going to be. Would but you I've not go back? Or... I've been to Tunisia and Morocco. Would you not go back there? or do you I not... have to do a lot of things because uh, I left and nobody's there now. My parents have both passed away. Yeah. Uh, um, and... Um, none of my everybody's everywhere in the in the world because of the war. So I kept the memories, you know. The thing that how I got yeah. over the trauma, well, not got over, but cope with the trauma of war, is that I kept my um, childhood uh, memories, childhood memories, really like the, those memories, really fresh. Yeah, and that is what I I look to, kind of the memory, and all of that is gone. So I definitely have to do a lot of prep mentally before I was to go back there. I suppose. I didn't mean to ask such a big question right towards the end, but what 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 would your uh, advice be to anybody trying to get over trauma in terms of? Because I I feel like the the pandemic is a traumatic event, yeah. right? So what, yes. so what would be your your uh, advice to people trying to get over that kind of? The first thing that the first thing I would say is don't be too hard on yourself. It's all right to feel low. It's all right yeah. to feel down. But the only thing is that not to get tunnel visioned with, with, with feeling low or feeling down. Okay. I think, I think it's about like your passions. And that's why I'm, I'm super excited about the world opening up. Because like I said, I'm an extreme extrovert and I've not coped with it well, especially the autumn and winter lockdown. I've not coped with it at all well. And I've still got the residue. You know, that's, that cloud is still in, heavy in my head. Uh, I'm quite honest about my mental health. Um, and I think people should open up and talk to people. I think it's really important to talk to people because you don't know the people you're talking to. They might be going through similar things and it's important to share, um, obviously, with, with people that you feel safe with. Yeah. Well, and what do you think is that men find it particularly difficult to talk about this kind of thing? Well, it's a lot of, lot of it to do with toxic masculinity, a lot of it to do with patriarchy, you know, that that we're supposed to be, we're human beings, you know, in yeah. terms of like, what, regardless of the g- g- gender we are, we're human beings yeah. and, you know, kind of patriarchal and toxic masculinity, especially toxic masculinity, dehumanizes men in a way that 
we're, we're supposed to be these machines and these worry. We're made of flesh and blood. We're made of emotion and the idea that we cannot be emotional or we cannot feel down and we cannot talk about it. It's not a manly thing to do. It's just a lot of hogwash, if you ask me. But all these, all these different things throughout the years, this cycle conditioning, societal conditioning plays to that. That's why so many men are committing suicide, you know? And during a lockdown, a lot of people have committed suicide during a lockdown. Yeah. And uh, and the other aspect of this is people from Black and Asian backgrounds seem to be uh, struggling with it even more, you know, struggling with talking about these kind of things. You know, I think the culture plays a big part in, in yeah, that. Yeah, of course, 100%. Kind of, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got we, we we've got the, the other thing that's going on as well, Shabbat. So people like me and you is that we go through cultural identity crisis because we, yeah. you know, we're I don't. Were you born here? You were born in England, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I grew up in England. I grew up in Manchester. Yeah. But um, I don't know. But if you get that, but sometimes you can get cultural identity crisis where yeah, because yeah. your parents are like from this and you're from this kind of culture, but then you're but you are a product of your environment, and sometimes that can unsettle you. You know, like in terms of like that crisis that you have. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of stigma, especially in a black and Asian community. And, you know, there's a lot of stigma. You know what people just say, yeah. you know, pray, go to the mosque, everything will be fine. You know, if you, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm more from a Muslim kind of culturally background and, and I can, I can talk about it. That's what people do say, so just keep yeah. on your, do, do, do ya. And that's it. You know, you'll be all right. You know, the shaitans will go away and like, yeah. they're going to go away, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, you have to do something about it. So to me, it's never the only thing I would say: be a human being, be be yourself. Don't ever have the cultural thing that pull you back from talking about your mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, be able to express how you feel because you're a human being. That's what we are. We're a human being. You know, and I, I, I definitely have that kind of cultural battle within myself, but in my situation. The way I've got around it, luckily or, or unluckily, is to just focus on on the day to day, because the day to day is so fucking hard that exactly. you can't even think about oh oh what is my cultural identity? Today? Exactly. I need to just get up and get ready and go to bed, you know, you know. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's all you need to focus on. For yeah. me, anyway, that is the case. No, 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 you're right. And, and that's the thing, is how, you, like, life is stressful as it is. Yeah. But I'm saying to you, the cultural identity crisis comes to us in different forms, you know, yeah. whether from our own culture, yeah. from discrimination, yeah. from, you know, racism, from some of yeah. all of the things that we face, it's yeah. still around that, isn't it? That's yeah. already enough. But, but for me, I would encourage anyone just to talk, to talk to people, to share, and, and you'd be surprised how people then open you up, you know. Yeah. You, know, you won't be talking to about your mental health. People are going to take the mick out of you. And I hope that there's not people out there that would do that, but people that you feel safe with, you know, that you can yeah. share. Yeah. But eventually the people that take the mick out of you will come around it because if everybody talked about it, it becomes normalised. And then, it, then it's not a fringe thing, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing? Mm-hmm. Say that again. What is there anything that I would like to say in closing? I would just say uh, thank you so much, Shabas, for inviting me. Um, I hope this is not the last. I hope that I get invited again, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm definitely going to invite you over to to come on uh, United Real Therapy. 
to share your experiences as a as a football fan, but obviously as a disabled football fan, and how you how you see being able to get back into the stadium, and then you can tell us a little bit more about the struggles that you have as a as a disabled football fan and what you want to see change. Okay, thank you, Nuruddin, from the bottom of my heart. I love you as always, brother. Take care. Always, always love, brother. Always, and that is. That, that that goes back as well. That goes back. Always oh. got love and time for you. And uh, hopefully we can watch a film soon, definitely. We need yeah, to do let's do that. Okay, thank you. Bye, everyone. Peace. Peace. Love, light, always, people. <laughs>